Hello and welcome to Into the Wild, the podcast that brings you wildlife facts, conservation updates and nature stories from the professionals to you. This episode of Into the Wild is brought to you by Leica Sport Optics. If you're like me, money can be tight. I'm not rolling in it and yes, that's probably why I've got long hair. Save money wherever you can, right? So when it comes to binoculars, money is one of the restrictions. I don't always have the total amount up front and I could probably just pay it in dribs and drabs. Well, that's where Leica helped me. Leica have created a new way to shop. Introducing a 0% APR and a 9.9% APR on a large selection of items. Available online, this new program guarantees peace of mind when purchasing your bit of Leica kit. You even get to pick the right financing plan for you. You can read more about this program on the Leica Online Store UK. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild. I am your host, Ryan Dalton. Thanks for clicking play on this podcast. Are you ready to talk about some nature? Let's do it. As I sit here at 7.26pm and record this intro for today's podcast, it's the 20th of May and that means one thing. It's World Bee Day, a day that we celebrate bees from around the world and I've got one bit of advice for you. If you haven't already got one in your garden, on your balcony, in your window box or somewhere around your house, stop what you're doing right now, put the paintbrush down, stop editing those photos. If you're at work, walk out. Just say to your boss, I've got something important and naturey to go and do. Go and buy a lavender plant. Take it back to your house, put it on your balcony, in your window box, in your garden or on your front porch. It's the best, cheapest and easiest thing we can be doing for bees. But away from bees and on to today's show. It's time for 60 Second Nature News. 60 Second Nature News, I think, is a name I'm going to be changing at some point because last week's edition was 90 seconds long and the week before that was 104 seconds long. So clearly, timing is not good with Ryan, despite the fact I was a comedian for seven years. But let's see if I can do this in 60 seconds today. You ready? Let's go into 60 Second Nature News. Deep breath, everyone. Let's go. Wally the Walrus, he's still around the UK. What is he doing here? Nobody knows, but he's moved on from Tenby in Wales and he has swam south down towards Cornwall. So people of Cornwall, if you're around that area, go respectfully and go and see Wally the Walrus. See what he's up to, see if he's visiting some shops. I can't wait until he comes to London and I see him on the wrong side of the escalator on the Northern Line with a line of commuters behind him. In other news, sales of peat compost to gardeners is going to be banned from 2024. Not only that, but ministers will also give £50 million to support restoration of 35,000 hectares of peatland by 2025. One of the UK's rarest fish, the Twait Shad, is getting a chance to return to its historical breeding grounds on the River Severn for the first time in 180 years. A fish bypass has been created to help fish, also including salmon, lamprey and many eel species, get through different barriers. The International Energy Agency revised some forecasts for renewable energy growth, raising growth forecasts of solar and wind capacity by 25%. It now forecasts 40% higher forecasts than just one year ago. That's the end of 60 Second Nature News. Did it do it? Was that 60 seconds? Was anyone timing that? I'm in the room on my own, but was anyone timing that? Was that 60 seconds? I've no idea. This has become the most stressful part of the podcast. I'm enjoying it though. It's all nice. Let's move on to today's show. Today we are talking about wildlife conservation in London and I'm joined on the show 
by insect photographer Penny Metal and from the London Wildlife Trust, Chantelle Lindsay. The reason why these two are joining me on today's show is because they both have a huge passion for wildlife and the conservation of it within this beautiful city that we live in called London. I say we as in myself, Chantelle and Penny, that we live in in London. Uh, not only that, but because of the work they've both been doing, they're featuring on Spring Watch next week. We had a great chat about what strengths London has for wildlife and what part the community plays in conservation and pretty much why we enjoy going to see nature within this city. And as I said, Penny and Chantel are featuring on Spring Watch, which starts next week. I'm so excited and I'm sure all of you are as well. Um, starting from May 25th to June 11th, Tuesday to Fridays at 8pm on BBC Two. But let's move on to today's show, which is wildlife conservation in London. Chantel and Penny, thank you so much for joining me on Into the Wild. It's lovely to have you both here. We're all in London and there's about to be a huge thunderstorm. So to the listeners, I do apologise if throughout today's recording you hear crashes of thunder um, or us all jump at the sight of lightning at any point. <laughs> but it is over the heads of us at the moment. Um, but it's lovely to have you both here. Um, this is a bit of a panel show. We haven't done a panel show for a while. Um, but we're today talking about kind of conservation within London. Uh, we're all Londoners at heart. All through. It's, this is the first time as well on the podcast, it's been Londoners. I'm so happy. I feel like I'm always trying to rep the city wildlife or sat there trying to put up with someone talking about the luscious wildlife of, you know, I don't know, Yorkshire Downs and I'm sat here in London. <laughs> so it's nice to have, you know, Londoners with me. So let's start by finding out who my guests are today. So we'll start with you, Penny. Welcome to the show. It's lovely to have you here. Would you like to tell everyone who you are and what is it you do? Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, my name's Penny Metal, and I'm a, an insect photographer, a writer, and um, a graphic designer. Nice. Insect photographer. Yeah. I'm trying to get into it. It's very hard. <laughs> I just happen to be uh, quite... Uh, yeah, I, I've got a talent for it. I found that out. Oh, though. no. Have I not I got know. a talent for it? Is that what it is? <laughs> oh, no. I thought I was just learning. I will divulge the secrets to you at some point. <laughs> please, please, please do. Please do. Because at the moment, there's just a lot of flower photos for me, but, um, which is still lovely. Yeah. It's <laughs> just because I can't move. Um, <laughs> well, it's lovely to have you on the show. Um, Chantel, thank you so much for joining us as well. Would you like to tell everyone who you are and what is it you do? Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Ryan. Um, I am, actually, I was going to say, I feel like a bit of a cheat because I actually was born in Yorkshire, <laughs> in Doncaster. No! <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> How long have you been in London? Most of my life now. So I am a Londoner at heart, That's basically, fine. you know. That's fine. With a Yorkshire lass inside. Um, <laughs> when you said that and I was looking at you and you were like Yorkshire Dales and I was like, <laughs> You've got, got to bring it up. I've got to bring <laughs> yeah, but I am a London at heart. Um, yeah, so my name is Chantelle. Um, I'm a wildlife conservationist uh, and currently work for London Wildlife Trust as Great Northwood Project Officer. Amazing. And obviously this this chat today is going to be full of nature and wildlife chat, as Into the Wild always is. Um, and a question I really like to ask my guests on the show is kind of how and when that started. Because quite often it's always the same. It started from a kid, but sometimes we get something a little bit different. So Chantelle, how and when did your love for wildlife and the natural world begin? OK, 
okay, well, this is not going to be a shocker then. It, um, I, can't, <laughs> I can't really remember when because I feel like I've always just loved nature. Yeah. Um, I can never, I've been racking my brains trying to pinpoint a moment, you know, like everyone has this like moment like they discovered a shark on a beach or something. I don't, I don't have that. I just have always loved, I kind of got into it through, I guess, pets. I didn't have any pets on my own, mm. but always been like envious or really really wanting a pair of my own so I'd be obsessed with my friends um animals um and then I kind of developed that into a bit I became a bit of a um, animal rights activist through secondary school um and then that kind of took me into the wildlife um sector amazing have you got any pets now? I don't. I don't. I used to. I used to have three rabbits, but they passed on Amazing. when I was younger. And then I had a cat, and she was the best cat ever. Um, but unfortunately, she was a victim of car and a car accident. So I'm, oh, no. I'm petless now, but I am craving a pet. I know it's so. I I absolutely love that. I, obviously, I have my dog, and then I've got a leopard gecko that I've had. He's 18. Oh my gosh, that's and incredible. I love him. I know it's like sometimes I sit there and I look at him and I just look at my girlfriend and I've got tears in my eyes what, I, don't, I don't want anything that ever happened to him. he's been in every house I've ever lived in like and just moved with me so yeah I, lo- I, I think that's that's lovely to hear that pets kind of brought you into the, the world of wildlife um, Penny how about you when did your love for wildlife and nature begin well I've got a similar story um, we always had pets we had a guinea pigs and gerbils and a cat and a budgerigar if I remember um, but it was about, it, it was, you know, our, our parents were very good at just sort of sending us out into the woods mm. and over the road. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was years later, I realized that it was really good, cheap entertainment. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. the fact that it didn't cost anything to go for a walk in the woods. And my mum and dad always knew the names of the birds and the wildflowers. And, and mm. I guess that, that sort of stayed with me, really. You know, I've always kept my eye, and I, I don't work in that world. I, you know, I discovered punk rock and and went off and discovered. Yes, you know, did. <laughs> and um, off I went doing other stuff. But I guess it's always like I knew what a blackbird was, and that's a thrush, yeah. and that's a hoverfly. So I think it always stayed with me, really. And um, you know, I have pets. I have a cat, and I've I, I've got um, twenty two free range stick insects walking around the house. Um, <laughs> free range yeah, sorry 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 well I wasn't very good at putting them in a pot and I suppose when we were kids we always had stick insects and then you'd leave the top off and they'd be everywhere my mum would be going oh there's eggs in the uh in the airing cupboard you know and and, and I and it's a classic thing where a friend says to me oh you know we've got some stick insects from school and my kids have sort of like lost interest oh well I'll take them you know and then you then they just I've just escape. never heard the and term then, free then, range and, stick well, and then about about sort of say eight years ago, because I've still got the you know the, the 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 offspring of the offspring of the offspring of the offspring, and I just kept basil plants and um, other plants in the kitchen, and they just hang out there. Really, it's um it's quite. And every so often, I'll sort of like pick up a tea towel, and one hangs off it. Or incredible. <laughs> and I I just I, I love. And sometimes a cat, the cat eats one because I'll find a leg somewhere. But, but you know, hey, I love it. <laughs> You've got your own, like, ecosystem within your flat. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know how to get rid of them because I can't put them in the wild because then they'll be in an introduced species. So I just sort of, like, 
I had, I think I had two days where I had none, and then one appeared. You know, so it was a bit like here and we then, go. Again. You're like, here we go again. And they just lay eggs everywhere, so you have to keep squashing them. It's, it's just... I just, Penny, I think you've got a wonderful <laughs> attitude towards your stick insect infestation. Well, yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> Yeah, it's lovely. It's very positive to hear. It's lovely. I can't. I can't believe it. it's. Do you? If you don't mind me asking, do you rent or do you own? I rent. Okay, so let's keep that under wraps. Yeah. Then let's not talk anymore. <laughs> right. Well. Well. What absolutely lovely stories from you both. Um, we're here to talk today about kind of conservation, as I said in the beginning, conservation in London. And the reason why you're both here is because Springwatch is in full motion. Well, Springwatch has been in full motion, as we probably know, for a couple of weeks. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Um, but it is due to drop full motion for my eyes very soon. Um, so are you able to tell us, Chantel, do you want to start by telling us what you've been doing on this series of Springwatch? Sure. Um, I can't even believe I'm saying that or hearing that, to be honest. I know, it's a great <laughs> sentence, isn't it? <laughs> Every time I hear it, I'm like, ooh, I just want to like, jump up and down. Um, <laughs> so and anyone who's listening, just imagine us jumping up and down. Um, so on BBC Springwatch, I am talking about the Great Northwood Project. And also kind of weaved into that is my conservation story, so how I got into conservation. But it's a very short, you know, a very short time to try and fit all of the Great North Wood into there because it's just this magical history. Um, but I'm do- I've done my best, so hopefully it comes across well. And what is, can I ask, because I might be super ignorant here, and that's usually <laughs> the case on this show. But when we say the Great North Wood, what does that mean? What is it? Where is that? Yeah, so the Great North Wood um, is in South London, believe it or not. So everyone gets really confused. Yeah, thinking, you know, the Great North Wood is and in North London. I will say, I did get confused on the email chain of the show because I assumed that Chantel lived in North London. Yeah, and and everyone does. But it's actually called the Great North Wood because it's north of Croydon. Um, and uh, okay. I, there we go. Um, and I live in Croydon, so I'm like, you know, obviously it's because it's north of Croydon. And so that was because the Great Northwood landscape is an ancient um, landscape, um, which was wooded commons, woodlands, um, all connected, this really vast landscape from uh, Deptford all the way down to Selhurst, which is in Croydon. And it was this massive source of kind of, I guess it was very economically valued um, by the people that it was managed um, with traditional techniques like coppicing, and people really relied on the woodland. But with the Industrial Revolution and urbanisation, it became fragmented. So mm. now you've got pockets of the Great North Wood in cemeteries, woodlands, parks, grounds, kind of like, uh, I guess, other places. You've got golf courses. So it's it's really yeah. varied now. But it'd be really hard to imagine that you'd go there and it would just be woodland as far as you that I can see. Um, so that's what the Great Northwood Project rest- helps to restore through um, practical conservation and community engagement. Oh, that's so cool. What, a great, what an opportunity to, you know, network it back up. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it is honestly the best job ever. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Amazing. And um, Penny, what about you? What have you been working on on this series of Springwatch? Well, um, it's interesting because I was actually born and brought up in Croydon. So there's more things in common with Chantal than ever. Yeah. <laughs> My stomping ground was probably, well, I was in Selsden, South Croydon. So I've sort of haven't gone far. I've, I've, I've ended up in Peckham and I've spent mm. the last 10 years um, photographing the insects of my a little urban park around the corner from me called Warwick Gardens. Um, a nice. typical park, you know, can found anywhere. But I decided I'd go and see what lived there. Um, 
And at the moment, I'm upward of about just under 600 species of insect I've found there, um, which I found was quite extraordinary. And at one point, I think it was the highest insect count of any sort of green space in urban green space in London because nobody had been doing it. It'd been doing the nature reserves and special sites. But for me, it was about what can I find in a normal, normal, you know, just normal park Mm. with no, no planting of such, you know, it hasn't been managed. It gets mowed but everything's left to go wild. And I found, and for me, it was a very interesting project to do, not only to see what plants have moved in, but what lives there, what visits, and how important it is to highlight that sort of urban living. And yeah. I really like the the juxtaposition of people sort of like, there's a kid's playground, there's a little football pitch, there's a place where people walk their dogs, there's picnic benches. It was that mashup of people versus the life in the bushes um which i think really interested me you know and sort of comparing them yeah. almost you know I, I sort of write stories about insects who get footballs chucked into them and things like that it's just, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, just trying and also the and showing people that while you're playing football or eating your lunch there's all this going on here in the side yeah. and, and, and how important it is and their lives are exactly the same as yours you know <laughs> that's amazing what an amazing thing to document <laughs> and realize because like i think that's what the one thing and we'll go, we're going to go on to like london and its benefits but london has so much green space for a city yeah to know that there's something like that in just, you know, like your, your bog standard city park. You just imagine what's elsewhere that's not been documented or what's, oh, you know, lurking somewhere. That's my next challenge. <laughs> Is it? It's going to go and do the Penny Challenge. The Schumann Road car park. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, a great park in London, if either of you have been, or you might never have been. I'd, you, I'd be surprised if you have because it's very. You know, uncelebrated. One Tree Hill in Alperton. Well, that's just up the road. Oh, uh, in Alperton. Alperton. <laughs> Isn't that in Nunhead? Alp- uh, West London, so towards Greenford. <gasps> There's another One there's Tree another, Hill. That, uh, another one? <laughs> is there? There's a One Tree Hill in the Great Northwood landscape. Yeah. So we were like, yeah. Is there? <laughs> oh, no. I'm not, no. So Alperton is right on the canal. So it's towards Greenford. I know it's because me and my girlfriend half live on a narrow boat so we go through it and during lockdown we were on there went to one tree hill park in alperton the wildflower that they've put there is incredible the beds there and the number of insects we saw there in the summer is and it's a very similar park to what you just described penny right you've got football courts um open gyms you've got kind of picnic areas but then you've got these beautiful kind of meadows that are just left with this wildflower stunning i was like this is just in west london Mm. just i had no idea about it so it's just imagine what's there if it was documented to go and find yeah what would be floating about (laughs) moving on to so all three of us we've we've established very clearly and i will say to the listeners if you're not in london sorry but we're going to (laughs) be shouting about london today because london doesn't get enough attention well don't forget london is one of the greenest cities in the world so it should get into it it should get attention it should be it should be top of the list (laughs) exactly and i learned on this podcast penny that it's it's essentially well it's confirmed it's a forest because of the percentage of yeah. tree cover it's got, we pass as a forest. So it's hard to imagine it, but I find when I'm watching TV or if I'm, if I'm immersed in a nature world, you're seeing all these beautiful places or people living in different, you know, living in a new forest or living in Sherwood Forest. But I'm like, I don't live there. Mm-hmm. I live in London. I want to see more of this. So I think it's really good that 
A, we're seeing more of this come on TV and that I'm just going to be buzzing about talking about London and wildlife today. So all three of us are from London. We love the city. <laughs> but let's talk about the strengths that London has for wildlife conservation, because this is one thing I don't think we hear enough about. So, Chantelle, what for you do you think are the strengths that London has in compared to other places, including cities, for wildlife? Um, for one, well, if you talk about Great Northwood specific... Um, I will go really, really specific and say that um, down south, we have a stronghold for stag beetles. Um, yeah. And they are the largest beetle in the UK. Um, I'm sure Penny knows lots about stag beetles. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They go down my street quite happily. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Please come and survey Penny's street. Um, but we'll be yeah. mentioning stag beetles on Springwatch as well. Um, and London has a stronghold of those. So um, recently we've actually done a survey um, of... Uh, whether there's presence of stag beetles in the Great North Wood, we get to get the results. Um, but I think that's one of the beauties is that you wouldn't think that London would be a stronghold for, you know, the UK's largest mm. beetle. Um, but that just goes to show how important um, London is yeah. for wildlife. And just like Penny said, it is the greenest city. So, yeah, yeah I think it's got those kind of special um, bits of wildlife that you wouldn't find anywhere else. And what about for wildlife conservation? Do you think mm. it is... And not necessarily done differently, but do you think London has a strength for that kind of work as well? I think so, yeah. I mean, for instance, I think sometimes, like if you in my experience, like applying for funding for wildlife conservation projects mm. within London, you kind of feel like you're on the back foot because you don't have these massive connected stretches of, um, you know, greenery. But you do have kind of like pockets. And I think that's almost yeah. like the beauty of London is that you can come off a busy road um, and you enter for instance, the Great North Wood. Um, so I think for wildlife conservation, it's kind of like you get to, um, it's really relatable, I think. You yeah. can, it's like work with what you've got. Um, and it almost like challenges you to look at wildlife conservation in a different way. You haven't got this kind of blanket greenery. You've got li loads of different habitats in maybe a, quite a small area. And so I think that's kind of the beauty. You get to sort of do um, lots of different wildlife conservation techniques maybe in the same area that's really cool I like that's that's so true yeah mm. I, I've never thought of it like that yeah it's really you've got to be you've got to be kind of thinking outside the box when you're in London when you do wildlife conservation you're battling with more as well at the end of the day yeah battling with more going on um Penny what about you for you what what strengths do you think London has for wildlife and for wildlife conservation um well I just think the sheer well I mean I, I will I will go along with what Chantel has just said it's just a wide variety of habitats and, and it is about thinking mm. outside the box you know things like swift boxes and and you know and, yeah. and actually looking at our vertical surfaces you know with the peregrines on the tape and and birds that have moved in that are using high tall buildings as cliff faces i think the challenge is because there's a large amount of people and people wanting space that's the challenge but i mean there's also so much you can do if you've got a garden a back garden a front garden mm. you know round the sides of a car park just let it go a bit wild you know stop stop tidying things up and I, I think the challenge is much better because i think through urban conservation especially is that you actually tackle far more problems than if you were sitting in a in the new forest or something, which obviously has its own challenges. But I mean, London is upwards of what fifteen thousand species at the moment, and so that's yeah. a large amount of you know that'd be fungus, that would be plants, that would be trees, that would be insects, mammals, birds. It's an astonishing figure. 
that you have to consider. And that's why I think, you know, conservation in London can be and is being so it is so exciting of what you can do. Yeah. And what everyone can do, like putting a, a, a you know, even if it's just a bird feeder or just leaving a, a bit of strip at the end of your lawn or or putting bird boxes up. I mean, my street in lockdown was great because it got completely taken over by sparrows and suddenly everyone was into the sparrows because they just took over. And it's like sometimes you have to show people you can do little things to have maximum input. And they and it, yeah. and it can be really, really cheap. <laughs> Yeah. That's what I like about it. That's what I love. You don't have to spend. I've got a wild area in my garden built out of a pallet. Like I'm not spending money on it. I've, I've got soil. That, I think that was the most I spent was having to buy soil yeah. because I've got no grass or soil. But that was it. And it was just sometimes people get a bit funny about this. Taking a few seed pods rather than buying wildflower. Yeah, 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 just, yeah, it's yeah, the enjoyment, yeah, no, immersing with it. it around. You know, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, like just, yeah, yeah. Do you want to? I've got field poppies growing now, so I can save some for you if you want. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I, I do, I do, I, I regularly go down the street and any any gar, any front garden that's been sort of like cobbled over because it looks neater, I just chuck seeds into it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Isn't that called, that's like called something like gorilla planting. I yeah, think I've heard it being called. Yeah, gorilla planting. I love it. Yeah, I call it sort of surreptitious. It's just no one can see me. I don't have to bend down, you know, chuck. <laughs> I think, yeah, but gorilla gardening is usually done in like, you know, like public areas. But I love the way Penny's going, I'll do it in people's gardens. Well, well. I, mean, I, I, I have a pollinator pot garden. I don't have, I live on a first floor flat. So I've got a little space at the front mm. and I've just got pots filled with plants for pollinators. And so yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's also about showing people that you don't need to do much and have a lot of space to create it. And my whole argument is if everybody had a pot of lavender in their front garden, we would have a corridor, and lavender's really easy yeah. to keep. It doesn't need a lot of care. So easy. And it smells beautiful, and it looks lush. Yeah. And if everybody had one in their front garden, we'd have a corridor. Yeah, it's so true. And do you know what? I said <laughs> this so I said this to my dad. My dad just replaced his lawn, and still with real grass, which that was oh, my worry. God. But yeah. yeah. Chantel, mate, honestly, I was shitting myself when he was telling me this. Um, And then he said, I'm getting just flat grass down. And I went, Dad, why don't you know that bit over there is a bit shady? Why don't you just whack a few wildflowering, see what comes up? You don't need to mow it anyway. Like, just leave it. He was like, no, 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 no. And I said to my girlfriend, I'm just going to walk around and scatter some wild seed and just drop it out. (laughs) Like, like, you know, like the great escape, like out the bottom of my trousers, just coming out and just like letting it seed in. But I didn't do it. Because he would just put weed killer down if it did it. So I thought I might as well just let nature sort it out. <laughs> I, rem- I remember, I remember um, my friend sending me a, a text going, I can't believe it. The neighbours next door have put a fake lawn down and we found a a, um, a skewered snail. You know, <laughs> no, no. Oh, God. do you know what? There's never a bigger reason to move house than when your neighbours get artificial grass. I just think... Well, the worst... I think once that's happened... But this, it's, it's really interesting because everyone got into gardening last year and then this year everyone's getting rid of the garden and putting sheds up so they can yeah. work from home and you're a bit like, no, put a green roof on it. No. God. Yeah, the- yeah, I know. I I did say if my dad gets artificial grass, then I, I'll put him in a home. That's what I said when he gets off. That's the threat. That's the threat right there, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you wait. As soon as you're 75, Dad, you're in a home, whether you want to go or not, you get artificial grass. <laughs> um, 
so okay, let, Penny. Let's talk about Peckham or insects of Peckham. So you've got this. You've you've developed this passion for insects and documenting. But how? I guess you've done it brilliantly. But how? How and when did that start? How did you start? discovering that there was insects there? Well, I started 10 years ago, which is really interesting, which is really nice to be sort of invited onto Springwatch because it's just like a whole 10 years. Mm. Um, I work from home, so for me it was like I didn't have any work and I had a camera with a macro lens and it was just like, well, I haven't got a garden, so the nearest place to go is my my local park. And I thought I'd do it for a year. Mm. Um, I expected to find about 50 insects and I sort of my first year was up past 200 um, get, wow. going for like an hour or two hours a day every day and so and then in the first year I discovered a new uh, leaf hopper new to Britain called the mosaic leaf hopper and that and it, it got featured in a paper and I just thought this is great wow. you know what I mean someone sort of just discovered I thought only entomologists discovered things so it was a really <laughs> it was a really it was a real incentive to go back again the next year to see if the leaf hoppers were there and what else I could find and that's so I've just been back every year and it's been a what's been nice about it is that I I know I now know what lives there what visits mm. Habitat changes, fluctuations in insects, um, and ju- just stuff like that. Really, so it's, it's, I've become really intimate with it, which sounds awful. The word intimate, but, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> but it's almost like I know it back to front and inside out. I know where I'm going to find stuff. I know where the wasp beetle appears yeah. every year. I know where I'm going to find, you know, sort of ruby-tailed wasps and stuff like that so and I think that's sort of been part of it it's about knowing a habitat and it's something that people can do they can do it in their garden you can go out for five minutes or ten minutes a day and just have a look and if you do it every day you'll notice what comes into your garden um and and with the photography side it was always about how do I get people into insects because I mean insects have mm. still got that really difficult reputation people like them over there you know seen and not heard they don't want them flying around the sandwiches or eating yeah. their clothes moss so for me it was about insect portraiture where if I can take the best picture of this particular insect which obviously you know it takes a while to learn how they fly and where they are to, and how they move to get the best thing and to show people pictures of insects and just go look aren't they beautiful <laughs> and and, yeah. and 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 a lot of that has been my mission is to actually get people into insects by showing them how beautiful they are what their life cycles are how 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 necessary they are and then mm. sort of i wrote a book which was describing the insects in the park so it's almost like because pecking was being gentrified i had weevils whinging about sort of their habitat being taken away and all stuff like that just to try and I love that try to try and get people you know and to talk about homeless bees and sort of stag beetles who are proper geezers because they're from south london <laughs> <laughs> just to give people a hook to remember that rather than going, well, that's a stag beetle and it's a be- Britain's largest beetle and it's endangered. It's like, well, if you can imagine him with this guy walking down the street, you know, big antlers, <laughs> you know, maybe may- well, maybe they might remember them and maybe they might not stand on them or squash them or swat them. So, yeah. you know, I'm I'm not expect people to, to love insects. Um, I want them just to be aware that they're there and not to do anything to harm them. 
Mm. I think that's a big thing, isn't it? And that's a, a battle that I have in conversation all the time when people say to me, for example, you know the phrase "I hate wasps," and oh. you're like, "Well, you don't, you don't have to like them. Like, no one, ha- you don't have to like anything. You just have to accept that they're there. Like, you can't, like, that's all you have to do. And it doesn't even take that much effort. No, to do that. but if you, it's really interesting because we've got what nine thousand species of wasp in this country. So I mean, yeah. when you show people, people go to me. I don't like wasps. I'll show them a picture of a ruby-tailed watch, which is metallic red and blue with bits of green yeah. on it. go, how can you hate wasps? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always turn around and go, no, you don't. You hate the yellow jackets yeah, that annoy you, you in summer. Like the ones That's that what you don't you. like. Yeah, read a book, Derek. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but it was, what's been really good about lockdown last year, because all the WhatsApp groups came up. So we've got the Schumacher Road mutual aid group, you know. And um, so Amazing. I started posting pictures of Instagram going they need our help as well they need mutual aid you know and it'll be sort of like um you know working with a friend of mine who runs urban bees you know we do a monthly bees to see in may or bees to see in april and Mm. i post things like that i post pictures of bees to see in your garden and then i got everybody out doing the stag beetle survey last year and then someone complained about they didn't like seeing pictures of stag beetles so we had to set up a schumacher road bug lovers group instead you know (laughs) because they were horrified to look at these scary terrifying insects and i'm a bit like (laughs) Yeah, oh gosh. You know, but the nice thing is is that I get so many people sending me pictures going, What's this and what's this? And and yeah. and to me that's been my engagement. You know, when I get a, a mm. really out of focus picture of something in a corner going, Can you tell me what this is? It's like I probably can't, but it's really great that you're interested enough to send me a picture. Yeah. You know, so it is nice, isn't it? Yeah, when people send it to you, like, oh, well, that, that's so nice that you care. Like, well, I know it's it the is. fact that they're looking, and that's all I'm asking for is yeah. for people to look and get off your phone and look in the bushes or look up in the trees or what. Yeah, no, it's it's nice. I think it's it's so nice that people have engaged with that. So obviously, this park. What was the name of the park in Peckham again? You said with this Warwick, that you've been working on Warwick Gardens. Warwick Gardens. So. What what do you think? Obviously, that, that's that's a huge number of insects for an yeah, urban yeah, park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I, I I don't like you said it's not overly well documented. But what what do you think parks in London need to do to you know up their game? Not I guess if the documents are there, we don't know. But did you think they need to do more for insects? Oh, do you think this, they're being managed well? Is, do you think this, things need to change? This is where I'm quite controversial because um, there is no habitat management in Warwick Gardens. We had a, a edible hedge put in, but that was to deflect the sound, you know, to protect the park a bit, give us some shade. I tend to just say, mm. just do nothing. You know, I mean, I see lots of parks putting wildflower meadows in, but I don't see any infrastructure. They're like shopping centres, but there's no housing or facilities around it. You know, there's no mm. sort of like walls for for shade or nesting bees or beetles you know you, you might find someone that's put a token log in for the beetles and stag beetles <laughs> but i just feel that sometimes yeah. you just need to spend uh, my attitude is just section a place off or just don't even section it off because when you when you start getting into nature as a suddenly it's separate i want people to just to be with nature so just don't mm, mow, yeah, don't mow the grass because grassland is actually probably more important than wildflower meadows at the moment you know they support an enormous amount of insects which is food for birds and i think that if we can start looking at just letting things happen naturally let nature do its thing um, I understand mm. the management side of stuff. I understand the conservation stuff. But when I see a vast expanse of grass, I just want to just say, just don't mow it. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all you need to do. How much money can you save by not mowing? I know. I know. <laughs> you know, we've got we've you know we've got people doing no mow May, and it's like, why no mow May? Why not no mow ever? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Baby steps. <laughs> yeah. Baby, baby steps. Yeah. We'll get absolutely there. Absolutely. Baby steps. You know. So. I did look out the front. We've got a lovely patch of grass, and it was. It was just we had muskmallow starting to grow. You had purple dead nettle. You had dandelion. It was, it was a beautiful yellow, more than daffodils. Do you know, it was, a, it was just a lovely array of dandelions. And then I was like, middle of May, I was like, they've not mowed it. They've not mowed it. They're still not mowed. It. Yes, get in. And then two days later, they mowed it. I was like, ah, for fuck's sake. Oh. Yeah, I, 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 I might. I find the whole thing that we call flowers weeds or we call insects pests. I just think these are words that should be just... I mean, because yeah. there's nothing more beautiful than dandelion and a daisy, you know. I mean, why do, yeah. why do you have to buy dahlias, however flashy they are, when you could actually just look at dandelions and all these wildflowers that just pop up on their own in the right soil at the right place at the right time? Just mm-hmm. let nature yeah. do its thing. A hundred percent. I do agree with you on that. Um, so, Chantelle, we're gonna, I'm going to move on to you and talk a bit about... like so. You, the the Great Northern Woodland in South London. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What was it called? The Great Northwood. Great Northwood. Sorry, I do apologise. It's it's because, I'm going to say to the listeners, it's because I had a question here that I've had to reword because (laughs) I, as I said, I I assumed Chantelle was in North London. But anyway, how important would you say it is to London? And woodlands are similar, I guess. Yeah, I would say super important. I would say... For humans, let's start with humans, the amount of people that I've had come up to me since we started volunteering and saying, oh my gosh, I've just discovered this woodland on my doorstep through COVID. You know, we weren't allowed out and this has been my saviour. Literally someone said this has been my saviour. So on that level... You know, these little pockets of woodland that you just wouldn't expect to be there. And I think that is the real magic of the Great Northwood. It's like you kind of don't expect it. And so many people don't know Mm. about it. Like I didn't even know about it until, you know, like a few years ago before starting the project. So it's kind of for people. I think it's wonderful because it just changes that perspective about London that we're all trying to get away from. And for mental health as well. You know, like there's times when I wake up really groggy. I'm like, oh, gosh, am I really working today? (laughs) (laughs) I go out into the woodland and it's like, oh my gosh, I feel like the wo- the wood, it just encompasses you. Um, and mm. so, you know, grassland is great and, you know, all these other habitats are great, but they're very open. So if you're someone that likes to be kind of like encompassed and surrounded, it's amazing. It's beautiful. And it can kind of make you feel like you've escaped, you know, the city because you can't hear any cars, mm. you can't see anything outside of all the woodland. So for humans, I think it's amazing um, and really, really good for mental health. Um, and then for wildlife, it's a given, you know, woodlands and forests are the lungs of the world, as they say. Um, and very much that's what they're doing for London. You know, it's preventing flooding. They're taking carbon from the air. So they're doing their job. You know, they're doing their ecosystem services and they're supporting a hell of a lot of, of species at the same time. You know, when we've done surveys, we do um, butterfly transects, bee transects. We do um, our wildflower surveys and we've got ancient woodland indicator species as well. Mm. Um, like wood anemones, bluebells. And I was in Long Lane Wood, which is in Bromley. It was just full of bluebells. It's amazing, isn't it? It's <laughs> incredible. I literally, and this is my first time seeing it in spring because I missed it last year. So I literally like mm. got out of the van and I was like, oh my gosh, today just got like a hundred <laughs> times better. And I, I was sat there taking so many pictures that actually I'm going to be sending um, to Penny. Yeah, I've got them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. 
<laughs> so you'll be seeing those. But absolutely incredible. And, you know, just like standing in the middle of the woodland and all the species that you can hear, the, you know, variety of birds that you can hear in autumn, winter, fungi is just everywhere mm. um, and all different types. So, yeah, it supports a huge amount of life. So I think it's completely very, very important for, for London and beyond. It's funny... It's funny with bluebells, isn't it? Because every year it comes around. I didn't get to see them last year for obvious reasons as well. And then this year I was like, when people were like, bluebells, I was like, yeah, all right, bluebells. Like, you know, it's, in your head you think it's like this normal thing. And then when you see a blanket of them, yeah. I turn around like with tears in my eyes going, that's just beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like really emotional about it. <laughs> like, I every year myself, it takes me yeah. By- yeah, it's like every year it takes me by surprise like how much I go like, this is just absolutely stunning. Do you have a favourite species that you like to see in these kind of woodlands that you work in? Is there something that you're like, yes? Or is there a season that you just love? Oh, that's difficult. Um, I think this so watching spring take hold of the wood has been magical. Um, mm. I think that has probably been, like this year, that has been yeah, the most magical thing because I was so excited and ramped up for it last year. And then COVID yeah. happened and I was devastated. I was like, no! <laughs> see the woodland so seeing it cycle from winter um, into spring has been absolutely magical i don't have a favorite species i will say i always love to see jelly ear fungus that is my favorite Ooh, one of my favorite good fungus. answer yes <laughs> just the feel of it you know like if no one's seen jelly ear fungus before it's literally looks and feels how it sounds so i've got this great video of me just <laughs> wiggling it like this <laughs> <laughs> so um, that grows on elder trees. So if you know you've got any elder trees around, go and look for jelly fungus. It's worth it. Amazing. And these these woodlands we're talking about. Do you, and I guess I count this throughout all of London as well. But do you think we need to be doing more for the woodland? I think we need to be doing more, <laughs> definitely. In terms of kind of joining up bits of woodland as well. So that's what we do. You know in the Great Northwood landscape, like I said, it's not connected anymore. Yeah. So you have to kind of try your best, like Penny was saying, to build corridors. Um, so there's sections that could be wooded. I, I went to, we had lunch today on Ashburton playing fields and it's like, it looked absolutely fantastic. It's this great open space that everyone gets to play on. But just around the edges where they're not using it, it's just completely bare. And it's like, that could do with some understory. Um, that mm. could do with a couple of trees, you know, just to connect it and make it a bit wilder. And I'm also with Penny as well in terms of, not everything needs to be um, so intensely managed. Um, So things just, just let trees regenerate themselves, you know, let the acorns fall and do what they need to do. Um, But of course, saying that coming from woodland management, that's my job. There is a lot that needs to be done in terms of, you know, trying to preserve the native species or the species that you'll find in those woodlands. So it's a real fine balance, but I think we could definitely be doing more to, to wood up the, the fragments in between. The management for me, I feel, is like just do what isn't being done by natural species there anyway. Because that, like, like if you look at coppicing or like removing trees, because that would happen naturally or something, or flooding areas to help. Um, although beavers look like they're mm-hmm. coming back very quickly. But do you think that's the kind of management we need to see? Is like let's do what the lost yes. species would be doing. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, and we do a lot of um, invasive species, plant species removal. So, for instance, we've got a lot of mm. cherry laurel, which is a Victorian garden escapee, um, and it has cyanide in its leaves, so it suppresses the growth of plants around it. So, in that case, you know, oh, wow. and Japanese knotweed and things, you need to go in and manage that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's things that, you know, uh, oaks can't get up and be like, cherry laurel, off you go. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, we have to come in and do those parts. But the rest of it is like hands off. 
And just like Penny said, you know, the places that it is controversial because we try to like fence off bits in woodlands um, that are getting completely trampled. But like the minute you do it, like the next year you come back and there's something that's sprung up and you're like, you see why we fenced it off? Um, yeah. So yeah, I just think, yeah, people love to go everywhere they want to go. But sometimes it's like, you just, I just need to to keep this bit separate and, and preserve this little part for a little while. Just back off for yeah, a bit. Yeah, just back off a bit. <laughs> yeah. For 20 minutes, guys, just leave it alone. Yeah. Just, just leave it. Um, we, we mentioned, I think we've mentioned it pretty much the whole time, is that community plays a big part into London. And I think a lot of people assume it doesn't, but London, what I love about this city is that it has its pockets of community and there's mm. still, you know, people, you still know your neighbours, you still know each other and stuff. And even like you were saying, Penny, with WhatsApp groups, you wouldn't assume that is a thing in London, but it really is. And how do you think, Penny, that community plays its part in London wildlife conservation? Um, I w- from my experience, it's about just getting people engaged, actually. I'm looking, you know, I'm obviously based around my park and in my local neighbourhood. And for me, it's been all about as I said before, about getting people actually interested in something, you know, showing them a picture, encouraging them to to plant some things, you know, encouraging them to... I, I For me, it's just about talking, and I think the more people that do it and the more people that feel confident about doing it, the more that you'll end up with a bit more of a joined-up neighbourhood yeah. for things, you know. So you might have a lot of people, you know, it's like... I've been saying to, you know, because last year someone sort of put in the WhatsApp, I found a toad and it's like, right, now's the time to put a little hole. Everybody put a hole in their fence, (laughs) you know, so the toads can get through and then maybe the hedgehogs might come back. And if you can, for me, it's about engaging people on that level to have, and not to scare them. I mean, once you start chucking Latin names at them and being a bit, <laughs> being a bit of an expert, they walk away. And actually it's all about just mm-hmm. putting that lavender out, you know, just mowing, not mowing that bit of grass. And, oh, look, that, that fly's going to eat all the dog. Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so that people have a little bit of an understanding without being overwhelmed because to them it looks like something they can't do. And I think the reason, yeah. you know, like gardening, you know, growing vegetables is always a good way to get people in, to get people's hands mucky in soil, realising how easy and how cheap it is just to plant a couple of things and then the enjoyment of watching them grow and you can tell people that this is all really useful you know so that for my in it's about that sort of community engagement on a on a very low level non-pushy encouragement style is what I personally would go I, for I really like that what you said about the, you know making it relate to people as well making it understandable because I think as soon as like you like you clearly put there as soon as you start talking above and I I always think I'm being patronizing patronizing when I say it like this but above the layman term as soon as you start doing that you lose people because mm. that's not how education works you have to start from relating it to people and then people can go from there and and learn more but i i I really like that the way you've put that well i think it it also you know i mean i i'm specifically mainly for insects obviously i'm interested in birds and bees and you know birds and flowers and everything like that but for me Mm. i've concentrated on insects because if i deal with everything else my head will explode you know, um, because I also know because the insects are at the bottom of the food chain, they really do need a leg up in the sense of it's not a it's not a beaver or a little robin. It they really need a help. And I mean, some of them have 
not yeah. sort of quite discussed in life cycles and you have to sort of pre- <laughs> present it in a way that people, you have to sort of say, you know, if, if you get rid of this bee, you're going to get rid of a fly and a wasp and about 20 other species. So you've got to try and present them in a way that people are, are going to engage you know, and it's di- and, it, and it is difficult because if you tell someone to plant some tomatoes, there's bound to be something that's going to come along and eat it. You know, and, yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. have to sort of defend the rights of something eating the tomatoes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we need to start with the name parasitic wasp. It's just not a good name. <laughs> no. It's just not a good name. It's you well, know, you're falling you, at the first the hurdle. Best name for a parasitic wasp is called the gastruption ejaculator, and it lays <laughs> and it and it and it, and it, and it lays its eggs in scissor bee nests. Do you know what I mean? And it's just sort of like, but wait. <laughs> So I know, I know. Start, the so names are incredible. Exactly. When you start when you start talking about insects, you can pull up all these stories. You know, and people are like, you know, but trying to make them, but trying to make them sound friendly and trying to be enthusiastic about them. It's my it's my job in life. You know? Oh, what a great job! What was the name of Parasitic Wasp? I've forgotten. I was laughing. What was it called? Gasteruption Jaculator. Gasteruption Jaculator. <laughs> Lays that sounds eggs. like so many things. It's well, not. Well, it's like it's a porn name, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that, I mean, that's what I was hinting at. <laughs> and then it lays eggs oh. in the scissor bees. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, it just yeah. keeps going. It's like it just a, keeps giving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, a horror, like an adult horror movie character. Well, yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, wasps are my favourite insects, you know, and it's because they've got this really gothic lifestyle. I mean, bees are all fluffy and lovely and everyone loves them. And I'm just like, yeah, but look at wasps, what they can do, you know. Yeah. And it's just like, and there's so many of them and there's some of them are big and some of them are really tiny. And I just think, you know, that I my mission is to get people into wasps. So we can sidestep, you know, the ones that sting you, but we can go down this whole road, you know, and it's like... Yeah, like you said, there's 9,000 exactly. species of them, you know, thereabouts. Nine. It's mad. No, it's astonishing. It's mad. You can't get it all done in an hour. It's and mad. They're all, and um, then they're all specialists as well. They're absolute specialists. And why yeah. do we need to look after our wasps and keep our habitats? Mm. Because you'll have wasps that live on one species, and relies on mm. one species, maybe a butterfly or a moth or a tree. So, you know, it's trying to explain to people in ways that if you cut down that tree, you lose all this other stuff, you know. Yeah, I think that's something that's really been in the media a lot recently. Mm. It's, it's not about the, the large, it's about, well, you've really got to focus on this one thing, what that actually stands for and what yeah. that's supporting. Chantel, for you, community in London, how do you think that plays a part into wildlife conservation within the city a massive part i mean um the first london wildlife trust reserve sydenham hill wood um, and that's part of the great northwood as well that was that was saved by the community it was saved by save the wood campaign so that's kind of like the building blocks of the great northwood in a way and i think having being a volunteer manager as part of my role has really opened my eyes to what people really can do when they put their minds to it and they give up their time. Mm. Like I am always in awe of my volunteers. I don't know if they know, but I am like their biggest fan. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They just, honestly, they are just the most amazing people ever. Um, You know, they come every week. No task is too big. Like I'll, I'll sit there and be like, oh, I think this is a bit too much of a big ask. They get it done in literally like two hours. 
amazing. So just seeing people come from all different walks of life, you know, retired, people um, take the day off work to come volunteering. Someone was saying that they want to try and get like a a four day week job because they want to still come volunteering. And I'm like, wow. Um, That's that's commitment. It is commitment. (laughs) Like, honestly, I'm so in awe of them. So I think it's just about kind of, and, and people come for different reasons. You know, people come for the social aspect, people come to do stuff because I think there's a lot within the environmental sector and you know with the climate crisis it can be super overwhelming you know you sit there and you're like what can I do like I haven't got a garden I haven't got this and it's like just start doing just start doing something so sometimes I sit there even being a wildlife conservationist in this role being like I'm not doing enough but you're out there and you are doing the wildlife conservation that needs to be done you know and and people giving up their time for that so I think it is about kind of starting where you are with what you've got and also like Penny was saying just kind of like sparking that I think, mm. I think everyone, we are nature as people. Don't want to get too like philosophical about it. Uh, <laughs> we like are. Big, no, it's true. It's so speed. true. But we are nature. So it's like, it's not like you have to go very far to, you know, to reach inside, but it's just about sparking that, you know, within mm. London, within the city, everyone's got different priorities, you know, everyone's living at different levels. So it's about, like Penny said, getting that thing and making it relatable um, I've like got a running joke with my volunteers. I try to make everything that I see look like something else. So hornbeam leaves for me are McCoy's crisps, um, for <laughs> instance. Because <laughs> it's like, you know, like like Penny said, you don't want to be known Latin. And it's like, that's great. It really is. Like I'm in awe of people that can just reel off the Latin. But when I see a hornbeam tree, it's like, that's McCoy's crisps to me. And that's how I remember it. And, you know, people have like, have like grasped that and run with it. So... Yeah, it's about making it relatable and just showing people something and, yeah, just kind of like sparking their imagination Um, because people really can shock you and surprise you by how much they can get done when they care about something. And that's why, you know, community engagement within projects like the Great Northwood Project is super important because if we were just doing the practical conservation, that's great, but people need to know about it to care about it. Um, Mm. So, yeah, it's all about kind of educating people and trying to find something that's going to make them go oh that's cool I want to know more it's it's so true I love I, I love the fact that you both brought that up that mm-hmm. that relating it to people to help because you know there's there is a lot of people in London so that means there's lots lots of potential mm-hmm. as well to like you know work with people and I think what you've just said about the McCoy crisp thing it is yeah, that, yeah, it's just it is that kind of relating it people need that because I'm really bad my memory for names is really bad mm-hmm. and it, it always has been I've never named it's visuals that I'm good at I'm not good at words and names um so my girlfriend would always test me on plants and be like, what's that again? And when we first started doing it, like last year, I think she was doing it, like, for, you know, forsythias in people's, they're everywhere in people's gardens, like big bright yellow um, shrubs. And I would never remember the name of a forsythia ever. And then until Christina was like, just think of Bruce Forsyth and think <laughs> it's nice to see it, to see it nice. <laughs> Because she was always like, oh, that's nice, isn't it? And that's how I remember it. So every time I was like, oh, it's not, oh, it's a Forsyth here. There we go. <laughs> but it is that kind of relating to like words to things to get. And I think we have to remember that that's how people's minds work. And not everyone is an academic. Not everyone is needing to know the science name. Not everyone needs that. Some people just need the name of it, even if it's for them. Um, my last question is a question that everyone gets on Into the Wild. And Chantelle, we'll start with you. It's probably the hardest question anyone ever gets <laughs> no, asked. But I know. Um, if you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone on the planet about the natural world, what would it be? Oh my goodness gracious me. That's probably be it. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would be to find your own connection 
And I think I say that because I think a lot of times we look at nature and it's like, you know, it's you have to show you've got a connection with nature, you have to know the Latin or to show you've got a connection with nature, you have to know what it is. But you don't. You can literally just go out. You don't need to know it's a hornbeam. You can just literally look at the leaves and appreciate how gorgeously ridged they are or just you like the feel of something. So it's like find your own connection and then follow that really and try to maintain that connection through whatever it is because you can look at someone and go oh they don't really like nature but actually you don't know when they go out they just love to look around they just love to smell the air you know so everyone's got a different connection and I think yeah it would be to find that connection Um, and once you find that connection hopefully you'll fall in love with nature because I think it has a way of enchanting people it really does it really does um and penny for you what would be your one bit of advice onto everyone regarding the natural world i think i might know what it would be oh mine's a bit more mine's a bit mine's less eloquent actually and i really like i like chantelle's answer because that makes her sound a bit more sort of human than me i'll just be stop destroying it (laughs) respect it leave it be and let nature do her thing and don't use pesticides (laughs) i love penny's advice it's just off Right. <laughs> a bit like that because I think it's sort of I I, I sort of I, I'm less flowery. <laughs> I'm very flowery, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's why you work in what you do. You know, you're good at what you do. <laughs> but I think that advice is just as valid. Every, every bit of advice like this because there yeah. is a bit of that. You know, I mean, today we've just had. Was it the commitment to go peat free with compost? It's going to be banned in 2024, which is as long as it happens is a huge step. Mm. And I think there is a lot of that. You know, we are always talking about connecting people with nature, but there's also a part of our advice as conservationists, ecologists, whatever we do to say change is needed. We do need that. And it's, you know, if you're unhappy with the way something's working in your borough, email your MP, email it, call for action, call for change. And like you said, Penny, just sometimes things have to change. You have to stop doing stuff Mm. and save it and love it. And without that, how can this planet keep going on? (laughs) Oh my goodness. We sound really like deep. We've suddenly gone really... (laughs) We've gone very Radio 4. (laughs) It went from very like... From like, I don't know, late night channel four to very radio four at four pm very quickly. I feel like we great. could change well, the world between the three of us. I know. I, I well, feel like we've just done it. But that's a good thing about London. You know, you feel like box tick. It's a good thing about Londoners, isn't it? You know, they're a bit more sort of out there. A bit more that's what we need, Penny. We need Londoners sorting it out. That's what we need. Um, <laughs> Oh, God, what a great way to end the show. Um, so, Penny, Chantel, thank you so much for coming on today. It's, um, and congratulations on working on Springwatch. I'm so, you know, no pun intended, but buzzing to see what you guys are going to be showing um, next week. I cannot cannot wait. Um, as we're recording this, it's the week before Springwatch is coming out, but this is out on Monday today. So as of tomorrow, Springwatch will be hitting the screen. So make sure you tune in to BBC and be watching Springwatch to see what Penny and Chantel have been up to. But it just leaves me to say, Penny and Chantel, thanks so much again. It's been a right laugh and it's been lovely to chat to you well, both. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, Penny. Yes, <laughs> Chantel and Ryan. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks again so much for listening. If you'd like to keep up to date with the projects and work Penny, Chantel and Springwatch are up to, then their social media tags can be found in the write-up of this episode. A reminder that any views or opinions expressed in today's show belong to the person who said them and do not represent Into the Wild or anyone that we have worked with or are affiliated with. 
If you enjoyed today's show or you're just a fan of Into the Wild, you can say thanks by buying me a coffee. The link to our Ko-fi account is in the write-up of this episode. We also now have some merch available. What? Our T-Mill link is in the write-up of this show. And you can also get in touch with me at intothewildpod at gmail.com or on social media, Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. Whether you just want to say hello, share some thoughts on an episode or even let me know what you want to hear about next. Until next time, nature nerds, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.